When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network, a unique platform to have conversations with experts in the field of sports. Today's is special for me. He is maybe the reason I had the opportunity to have a successful career at Gonzaga after transferring from the University of Washington. Currently the head coach at Long Beach State, Dan Monson. Coach, how is life down in Long Beach? It's got to be nice, beautiful weather. We're dealing with snow already in Spokane. Yeah, but during the COVID season, we're all dealing with more inside time than we want, so we don't get to really enjoy it as much. But can I go back to the introduction? Because sure. uh, I think, to me, my my claim to fame is is not that Dan what Dan Dick out did at Gonzaga, but you were the last recruit I had at Gonzaga, and I was just telling my youngest son because he was asking what I was doing. I was going on your podcast, and uh, I, I I said some trivia for you. Who was the last? player that I, I signed at Gonzaga and and he knew right away Dan Dickow because I brag about it all the time and I said okay then who was the last one I recruited uh, and offered before I left and he had no idea and I told him Corey Violet and he's only 16 years old and I started thinking you know that's not a fair trivia for somebody 16 because that was probably about uh, 20 20 some years ago that that that, uh, that you guys played and that that uh, Corey played. So those are those are my claim to fame. And then I told him the I don't know if you remember this, but uh, you came into town on your visit on a Friday, and uh, and uh, you you know you were really close with Richie and some of our guys, Richie Fromm, and um, and we were going into um, shenanigans for dinner. And you said, Coach, can I get a minute with you before before we eat? And I said, Sure. So we were standing out on the doorstep of shenanigans and you said coach uh i already know where i want to go uh i want to commit right now if i don't have to do all the visit stuff and i'm just hanging out with richie for the weekend because you weren't a party guy or anything you just wanted to kind of hang with the guys and not have to do all the the ritual uh academic and all that stuff for the visit and i said hey whatever you want to do as long as you're coming i'm good with it so that's my damn it was uh it was a pretty easy decision for for me because i knew richie really well I knew some of the other guys, Casey Calvary, Zach Gord was a high school teammate. And yep. those guys, had they had been telling me about all the positives about how I would fit at GU. And then in addition, you guys just made that Elite Eight run. So it was a pretty easy decision for me. And I'm glad it worked out. I guess I have a question for you then. Who would have been your first recruit as a head coach when you were at Gonzaga? It was Casey. It was Casey. And uh, um, <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> It's funny, I get emotional even talking about it because uh, Casey, um, I had to go around a year and recruit without being the head coach. And uh, um, 
I was, uh, so I had to go around and tell people, Hey, I'm going to be the head coach. And Mark and Billy had to like recruit and because Fitz just said, okay, I'm not going to coach any of these guys. You do all the recruiting. And so we we're just getting slammed in a recruiting market because it's like, okay, he's saying he's going to be the head coach. You know, he's never been a head coach and Dan, Dan Fitzgerald has done all this and, and has established coach. You're going to go, you're going to go with a guy that, you know, has never done anything. And, Casey didn't buy it. And I'll never forget, I was at the Bulldog Club um, uh, golf tournament out of Manitou on, on, uh, on the first hole. And it wasn't the first hole. I, I, I was thinking I was making the turn because, you know, you start on, on 12 or something, you know, about halfway through the tournament, my phone rang. It was him. And I'm like, oh, I was like, this isn't good news. And he's like, nope, coach. He, you know, Casey had a couple flowery words in there, like screw it. And <laughs> he said, uh, I believe in you and, and I'm coming. And, and I get emotional every time I talk about Casey because he was the hardest one to tell when I was leaving, you know, and he did the same thing. He said to me, Hey, screw it. You know, you're doing the best thing for your family. We're going to be fine here, coach. And uh, couldn't have been more true words for the Gonzaga program and, and for him and everybody, but everybody's been just fine after I left. But Casey was my first guy. Well, he was a, a perfect evaluation and you did a tremendous job getting him to commit and I've, I asked Coach Few this same question um, when I had him on the podcast a month or so back, is who did the NBA miss in regards to evaluating Gonzaga players for the next level? And he didn't miss a beat. The first guy out of his mouth was Casey Calvert, and I believe that as well to this day. What was it like watching his growth as a player from afar? Well, you know, I, I'm with you. I, I was always sold on Casey and his game. I thought he was un, not just – should have been the NBA. I thought, I thought he should have had way, way more offers. And I think it was us in Colorado state was what he came down to. Um, and uh, I, I just thought he was way under recruited and way under evaluated his whole career. I, you know, I, I mean, he came in as a freshman and was a man. I mean, he, he, he was, he was already developed. Uh, Bernie Salazar was his high, high school coach and he was um, a manager at Gonzaga back with, for Fitz back in the day. And uh, you know, I, I, uh, uh, I can't agree with Mark Mora on that one. We disagree about most things, so that's that's interesting that we would agree on that. But but it, that part of that is Casey's fault because what makes Casey good it also also gets in his way is is his stubbornness and and he was not going to kowtow to the NBA and and to their you know oh we're gonna you know try you out here and and bring you in for this or bring you in for that and he just said forget it I'm just going to go overseas and make money you know where somebody really wants me and not where I got to try out and get cut and do this and do that, you know? So, um, but, uh, uh, he, he was, he was a special player and, and he, he, he was so special in so many ways, not just physically, but mentally he was so tough and, and, uh, a, a good teammate and just a good guy. You mentioned that year where it was kind of, I don't want to call it being in limbo as the coach in waiting at Gonzaga, but Dan Fitzgerald was the head coach you were about to take over. Would Coach Dan Fitzgerald been your mentor? Or I know your dad, uh, Don, was a tremendous coach at Idaho and Oregon. Who would you have really kind of gathered your philosophies with from as a coach while you were coming up learning? Well, I've always said that, that both of them are my mentors, and Judd Heathcote as well. But I always say that, that I, learned, I learned how to coach uh, uh, from Fitz. I mean, Fitz was – you know, because he really challenged us as assistants of, from philosophical to recruiting to just, you know, dog cusses his people, you know. I mean, we, we really uh, 
uh, you know, learned philosophically what we wanted to do and even probably more what we weren't going to do as head coaches. Cause you know, uh, you know, he was, he was just, you know, his way or no way. But I always say to people, I learned what it is to be a coach from my dad. And I think that's almost just as important to, because being a coach is not just the, you know, guy at practice that, that you know, guides him in a practice. There's so much more that goes into it, uh, you know, 24 hours a day. And, you know, see him go through that and uh, understand, you know, that because a lot of people get into coaching because of the, you know, the money's really good in college coaching right now, the notoriety, the whatever it is, you know, for the wrong reasons. And uh, uh, I knew the pitfalls and, 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 and the good and the bad and, and what, what makes a successful coach and what, what, what kind of uh, how you can raise a family and still have a good, you know, family life uh, uh, through my dad and uh, just a balance that, that he gave me. Well, you mentioned three really good coaches, and, and I didn't think to add Judd Heathcote into that kind of mentorship role for you. But you followed your dad, Don's footsteps into coaching, and now it looks like your son, McGuire, is following in your footsteps as a coach. He's uh, a student assistant at Boise State with another former Gonzaga coach, Leon Rice. How proud are you of the fact that your son looks – up to what you have done and wants to be a part of the same type per uh, type of profession. Well, I'm, I'm tremendously proud. And it's, it's interesting because my dad and I don't, didn't take the same approach to that. My dad was adamant for me not to get into coaching really? and he was really, you know, and I remember after my sophomore year at, at, at Idaho, you know, sitting in an accounting class and the teacher kind of saying, Hey, you take, you know, this is what you have to take as a junior. And you know, you're going to, and I just started like, just getting cold sweat, just thinking of sitting behind a desk the rest of my life and doing people's taxes. And I went home that Sunday for dinner and, and, uh, told my dad and, you know, everybody knows gruff Don Munson. He doesn't even, and he's not a very etiquette eater, you know, he's just shoveling <laughs> the food in across the table and not looking at me. And I'm like, dad, I want, I, I've really thought about this. And he said, you know, kept eating, probably had food in his mouth when he's talking to me, you know, knowing him because I do it, my sons do it, you know, or it's a general, it's a uh, genetic deal, I guess. But uh, he, he said, uh, are you, you want to get into coaching because I do it or because it's what you want to do? And I said, dad, I, I can't visualize doing anything else, waking up in the morning and, and, and want, you know, that's what I want to do. It's what I, I have a passion for. I don't have a passion for accounting and everything. He stood up, didn't say anything, came around the table, gave me a big hug and said, you know, that, uh, that uh, you're too smart now. You're not going to major in PE or something. So I ended up getting a math major and a PE and computer science minor. And, uh, but, you know, his big thing was is he wanted it to be my, my idea. And I, I, it's the same with McGuire and even my younger son Maddox, I think, might, might even lean that way. But I, I didn't get into it uh, with them as far as, you know, trying to – trying to um, persuade them out of it uh, because it's been so I, – I didn't think that was fair because it's been so great to me. It's been such a great life, such a great occupation, you know, job, whatever you want to call it. You know, it's so slogan. It's really not a job if you, if you don't, you know, if you enjoy doing it every day. You know, it's not work. So uh, I knew that with McGuire, but um, I think it's a neat story how, how you know, he did want to get into it and – Leon, as everybody knows, Leon, I mean, he started recruiting when he was about the seventh grade, you know, and said, you're going to come work for me if that's what you want to do. And, and a neat moment in our life was we're up at Priest Lake and, uh, 
And Leon called and put my dad and I on a three-way uh, after, you know, the, the summer before he was going to um, go there. And he said, uh, he told McGuire that, uh, that he was going to give him a, a scholarship for, you know, the work he was going to do for him. And uh, he wanted my dad on the phone. He said, Coach, you know why I want you on the phone, don't you? And he said, no, not really. And he said, well, 40 years ago, somebody gave me a break and somebody let me have a start and that was you. And so Leon started his career as a graduate assistant for my dad at the University of Oregon back in the 80s. And so, you know, it's just kind of um, uh, a neat uh, what comes around goes around. And, and Leon's one of those, as everybody knows, somebody that doesn't forget where he came from. That's an awesome story about kind of a coaching tree and lineage in your family. But when you look at the University of Oregon basketball program and some of the guys that were involved uh, around the time that your dad was there, it's pretty impressive. I mean, obviously, you, you, you take a lot of things, I'm sure, from your dad's philosophy. But then you look at Tad Boyle, Leon Rice, as you mentioned, Mark Turgeon, Coach Few, Billy Greer. What was it about Eugene and that time frame for you guys as coaches that are all kind of about that same age? Well, because we all worked my dad's camp together. Uh, not, not Tad. Tad and Turge came later um, and uh, are friends of ours, you know, uh, as, as, as they came with Jerry Green, who replaced my dad. But, um, but they, they met Leon because Leon stayed on there when my dad got fired uh, and stayed on with, with those guys. And so it, it all kind of ended up connecting. But it was, a, it, it was a, the Don Munson basketball camp, which I've said we've been doing it my – at Long Beach State here for the last month, but um, because we've been limited with the COVID stuff. But, um, you know, I, I was, even when I was assistant at Gonzaga, I was running that camp uh, for my dad because I had a computer science minor. And back then, putting a, a camp on a computer was huge, you know, just for logistics of running it and what kid goes to what court at what time and, and those kind of things. And, and Mark and Billy and uh, there were more, uh, uh, Mike Peterson, who ended up being the women's coach at Gonzaga was, was, was part of that, that crew. Um, uh, Mark, Billy, Leon, uh, we all, we all worked that camp together and that's how we knew each other. So when I got to Gonzaga, the first thing he said is, Hey, we need a, uh, back then it was a restricted earnings coach, you know, kind of the DBO now. And he said, I'm, you know, tri typical fits, you know, I'm too old for that. I don't know any young guys that'll do it. So I went to that back to my you know camp Rolodex and and, and started and asked Mark and I said, Mark, can you know you want to do this? He said, Yeah, but I can't live on a year for five thousand dollars. Mark will tell you it was five hundred, but it was five thousand. Okay, I mean he's he's uh, he's making too much money now to remember the zeros, I guess. But it was uh, it was it was five thousand dollars and and uh, it was probably five hundred a month, cl close to that, you know and. Uh, but uh, um, he said, I can't do it. And I said, well, what if I have a, I have a two bedroom apartment? What if you lived here for free? And he said, okay. And he came down and then a year later, we all, he and I both got bumped up. I got bumped up to the first assistant when Joe Hillock left and, and he got, Mark got on full time. So Fitz said the same thing. So we went and gave Billy the same deal. Only we got a great deal when Billy came because Billy was the, the, you know, Felix and, and Oscar, he was the Felix of the house and he would cook and clean for us. And, and we got a good upgrade when he came because Mark didn't come with those strings attached. So <laughs> that's a good story. I'm sure there were good times to be had uh, back then when you guys were younger. When yeah, no cell phones back then, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. Well, that, that kind of leads me to a question now with, with the recruiting that you have to do now for Long Beach State as you head into your 14th year. 
is completely different than the recruiting that you did at Gonzaga. One of the reasons why being social media and so much information's out there and players at the young age can kind of separate themselves in a bad way with one tweet or one photo getting out there. What is your philosophy in regards to, to what you look for in a recruit? Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, a big uh, Twitter social media follower. My assistants follow it more than I do. And uh, I think that's something Mark and I do have in common again about. But um, we're, uh, you know, th that obviously is, is a factor in today's world. And uh, but, you know, we're also not at the at the luxury of gun Gonzaga to where, you know, we're going to get the good student, good guy, good player, you know, the trifecta. And so you're always giving and taking and just going off your gut of, okay, uh, all right, uh, his grades are not quite where they need to be, but, you know, or, or, you know, his jump shot's not right where we want it to be, but he's a great student and a great character guy, you know. And I think I, what I've learned here, you know, more than anything is, is at, at Gonzaga, it just kind of the culture there kind of um, vetted itself in that, you know, uh, guys didn't really fit in if they weren't, if they didn't have the trifecta going. Whereas here, you know, we, we've really got to be careful because we have, we, have a, we have access to a lot of talent down here, you know, for our level uh, with LA kids, but they don't all fit in. And, and uh, I've made some mistakes, you know, we won the conference three years in a row and I went for a little better player, you know, a little higher level player. And, and probably made some mistakes character-wise, and it set us back a few years. And we're probably are still recovering from that because we have not been to the level that, that uh, they're accustomed to here or that I'm accustomed to here the last few years. So, you know, um, it, it's, it's, it's a difficult balance. Uh, and it, it, a lot of it comes with your gut of doing it for, you know, however many years I've been doing it, 30-some years, and, uh, and just uh, getting the, your assistance to – to uh, be able to understand what your priorities are and what you're looking for is, is huge too. And we've had some, some really good players come through here, you know, um, but, uh, you know, we haven't had the teams we've needed here lately. You know, that's uh, interesting how dependent on the current stage you are in your program with success or blend of guys that are their experience level, whether it's freshmen or sophomore seniors, you, you have to kind of change your recruiting a little bit here and there. Now, I can only imagine that in Southern California, it's UCLA, USC, San Diego State. They kind of get the pick of the best players. And how do you separate yourself then from the other schools, uh, being it maybe UC Irvine, uh, UC Santa Barbara, University of San Diego. Now, UC San Diego is a Division I program. What separates or what can separate Long Beach State? Well, we've got a lot going here. You know, we're – we're, we're, we're the only division one school in, in America with the word beach on it, in it, you know, I mean, we are, you know, I mean, Pepperdine and, and Santa Barbara might be technically closer to the beach, but it, the beach sells itself, you know, in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, we've got a, a great facility here. We've got a great, you know, community. I mean, Long Beach, as you know, have been down here. This is, you know, a perfect location as far as you're just outside of L.A., but you can get to L.A. if you want to go to a Laker game or you can get to San Diego in an hour and 20 minutes. Or, you know, so we have we have a lot to sell. That that hasn't been a problem. It's been getting, as you say, that right blend and then keeping them. For my first eight years here, I don't think I had a kid transfer. And now it's just a, a free-for-all almost. And that, I guess that rule is going to go in this year that it is a free-for-all and guys don't. But, like, we, we, had, a, we had a really – uh, 
uh, kid that we, we, you know, my sisters did a great job of finding a 6'11 kid that was 170 pounds when we, when, we, when we signed him out of high school and came in at 210 and led the, led the league last year in block shots and, and set a, a, a conference record for block shots. Just great timing, great, great kid, great everything. But he wanted to play at a higher level, and he, he, he left here after, you know, in the spring here, the day COVID broke, and, and is going to be at U, USC next year. So, you know, those kind of examples are, are different climate too. So, you know, you're taking transfers, but, but the problem is, you're, you're, you know, Gonzaga has had a huge success in taking transfers, but they only have to take one at a time, and, and they have to blend into their culture. Our kids come in here, you know, kind of from the other side, like we had Brian Alberts from Gonzaga and, and Brian was great. And he's not, he's not in this category, but some kids will come in here doing a, doing you a favor and they think they're going to come down so they can shoot all the balls and, and, and get all the, you know, get all, all the, the stats they need to, to go play at the next level and stuff. So it's a, you know, the, the, the mid-major level is, is difficult to, to navigate sometimes. And we had a really good culture here for this level. Uh, uh, and, and it, you know, and that's, that's, that to me is the most astounding, best, amazing thing that Mark has done at Gonzaga is you go back there now and the culture has not changed. I mean, the, the coaches and the freshmen are still taking the bags off the bus and the, and the you know, still shooting the half quarters and, and playing the horse race game at the coaches social and at the, at the camps and the just traditions that were there when I was there that, that, you know, when I, when I went with the, was able to, kind of travel with the team to the final four that year that I noticed that, you know, in, in a place like ours, we're always trying to evolve into our, our, you know, like I said, we had it for a couple of years, but a couple of players leave and all of a sudden you lose it. And it's really easy to, to slide down that hill and get, than it is to get back up. And that's where Gonzaga, you know, is at the pinnacle, you know, starting the year at number one in the country and, and uh, just uh, what, what they've been able to do to, to sustain that culture. What's the outlook like this year in the Big West? Uh, you had mentioned uh, you guys were really kind of at the top of the Big West for a couple of years, and then uh, last year was a little bit of a struggle. Uh, one of your better players has transferred. Where Where is the outlook for you when you look at your team this year with in regards to potential and where you lie in the Big West? Well, we've always had potential. Like I said, we've always had good talent here. It's just meshing them all together and uh, – you know, Irvine is probably the, the Long Beach that where we were, you know, four or five years ago, um, uh, probably even longer than that. I don't want to, I don't even want to know how long it's been since we won the league, but, but um, uh, Irvine is in a really good place right now. They got a really good culture in their program and, and uh, uh, Russ Turner's done a really good job, but um, you know, Santa Barbara has been up there, that kind of thing. But we can, you know, we, we set out every year. We feel like we can compete to win this league. I mean, this league is, is, but, but with this COVID, it's more of a junior college league. I don't think anybody knows what anybody's got right now. I mean, we've had three players opt out. I've got two coaches that have immune comp, uh, immune systems that are compromised. So, you know, uh, I've got, you know, one out with a knee, uh, one that's struggling academically, so just getting through this COVID season, I think it's just going to, you know, who knows, you know, it could be a, a great year for us to, to, to sneak through it. And it, you know, could be a real struggle. I think we're certainly by COVID standards behind everybody. Uh, uh, fun fact that I didn't know until COVID hit, but you know, 
We're obviously in LA County, which is probably the most stringent as far as COVID protocol goes in the country. But a fun fact that, that COVID taught me is that in, within the LA County, there's only two cities that have their own health board, and that is Pasadena and Long Beach. And the Long Beach health board is, is quite a bit more stringent than, than the LA. And so we have been outside basically doing jumping jacks on the tennis courts now for the first month. And uh, it, it's just, uh, it's amazing. I mean, normally we've had games in by now. Uh, I've got players that don't even know each other's names. I've got two players through COVID that, that uh, weren't able to take visits here that have never been in the pyramid, that, that have not been in our locker room, that have not been in my office. And, uh, and, and you know, I saw you kind of laugh when I said that about their names, but it, it's, it, it is kind of a crazy funny, but it, it, it's, it's honest to God truth. I mean, we, we, we moved over to Orange County yesterday and had our first time in a gym my son went this morning because of Veterans Day. He didn't, wasn't, uh, didn't have to go to school. And it was the first time he'd been in a gym in, in seven or eight months. And same with some of my players was yesterday was the first time. And it was like, it was like Christmas for us. And we're changing in the – reminding me of the Elite Eight run when I kicked him out of the locker room. We're changing on the, on the, on the floor. Uh, uh, that was one of Casey's favorite days <laughs> when I did that because – Nielsen was cutting hair in there and they got, they had the locker room all messy when we came back from the, from the first round of the NCAA. So those are, I got to tell my old glory stories when I fit them in, but we're changing, we're changing, uh, um, uh, practice gear this morning at, at you know, and we had to go at 6am because it's the only time we can get this, this, um, uh, fitness place to, to practice in. So we're overcoming a lot right now to, to, to try to get this season in and hopefully we will, but it's going to be difficult. I'm just, just, predicting here with the protocol that we're being uh, held to. I've got, that's the other thing. I got two kids out in quarantine because one had a fever uh, last week, even though he's tested negative uh, three times since then, um, the, the, the health board here has not cleared him to come back or his roommate. Wow. That's, uh, that's quite a bit of different hurdles you've had to, to overcome just to get practices going down there. And every program and every coach has had to co- overcome a lot. And I've asked yeah. this next question of a lot of college coaches uh, on this podcast over the last few months. You've had time to step away from the daily grind of scheduling practices, planning practices, recruiting, running practices. How have you improved as a coach since the season ended in March unexpectedly? Well, I think every event in life is, is, is given to you to get better, you know, and to, to, to experience it. I've tried to embrace this. You know, I, I, I think first and foremost, I'm a better father and, and a better husband. You know, my wife, I think, would disagree. She's been social distancing me now for about seven months. And, you know, um, but uh, the, the, you know, being able to be home and, and be a part of, uh, of uh, uh, a family on a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week basis has been really good. But I think as a coach, you know, I think it's, it's given me, A, more time to reflect of, you know, uh, uh, and, and just be more, uh, I think, cognizant of, of my players and, and, and their personal lives and, and just how, because you also had the Black Lives Matter um, uh, situation come through, you know, um, during, during this pandemic, which really opened my eyes and educated me even more as a coach. You know, I don't have a, uh, I, I have all, all black players on my team this year for the first time ever, I think. And, uh, 
you know, I think it's really opened my eyes to, to be a better coach that way. And just being more user friendly, uh, just uh, not, not being so, Hey, it's my way or the highway and understand, uh, that, uh, uh, these kids are going through as much because I've been depressed some, you know, even though I think I've had a positive outlook and embraced this and just said, Hey, you know, I'm going to experience this pandemic and hopefully, you know, you only have to do it once in your life. There's a lot of things in your life that are negative, but you know, to go through them once and endure them is, can be a positive. And I'm hoping this can be one of those, but it, it's been hard. And, and, uh, and if it's been hard on me, who has everything, who has a, a beautiful home to, 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 um, to be quarantined in and to, to, to stay into, you know, and, and a beautiful family to, to be able to hang out with and see these guys, you know, by themselves or with a roommate or in a, in a, you know, poverty situation, I uh, have to endure it. You know, I think I'm, I'm just way more compassionate uh, to everybody's situation right now. And I think that's going to make me a better coach. I'm not so worried if their jerseys are tucked in this morning and their, and their, uh, you know, socks are where I want them or they're, you know, I'm just happy to be with them and, and, and just, uh, and, and enjoy the game that, that we, that brought us together, that we love, that we have in common and, and be able to spend two hours, you know, in common grounds instead of, you know, what they're going to do for dinner tonight or, or wh how they're going to quarantine or, or, you know, how they're going to not, you know, their, their mental frame is from, from uh, being, you know, closed off to the world for 14 days or any of those kind of things. Uh, great reflective answer. And I, I, I appreciate that honesty and, and so much of that. Last question, coach. Uh, it sounds like you did have practice done this morning, so you don't have to get, get prepared for, for one later today. But I'm sure a lot of people know your highs as a coach, and I would imagine that was the Gonzaga Elite Eight run. Take that out. What's your favorite memory as a coach? Um, that's a great question because, you know, I always do, you know, you, you hit it. You know, one of my – I know one of my – biggest regrets is that that my Gonzaga experience happened so early in my career and I didn't appreciate it enough because after grinding for when I've been here as you said 14 I know it could be 15 I was at Minnesota for 8 22 23 years to get back to that level I have such a different appreciation for that 99 team or just my experiences at Gonzaga you know um uh and and I think uh um, one, one of the highlights I had was cause I never really got to say goodbye to everybody, you know, is, is when they honored that team 10 years later at, at the, uh, coaches versus cancer event. Uh, so that would have been in 2009, uh, to go back and, 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 and I think all the, the whole team was there except for uh, Mike leisure and kind of get, you know, to kind of put a, a, a bow on that, on that part of my career. But I think, you know, uh, outside of Gonzaga, I, I would think um, just the, uh, uh, you know, leaving Minnesota and, and getting fired there and uh, uh, being, I think, I think, you know, naturally not, I don't want to say bitter is a word, but, but just, you know, having somebody for the first time in your life tell you that you, you're not good at something or tell you they don't want you anymore was a real gut punch, you know, even though I understood it and I wasn't bitter about it, I understood, you know, I still it was a gut punch, but to have the relationships with those, those players and them still to, to reach out to me or to reach out to me at that point 
you know, uh, that, that year. And, and even to this day, Rick Rickert lives in the Coeur d'Alene area. And uh, he was probably the most high profile recruit I had at Minnesota. And for him to, to still, uh, his, his wife, Cece, is from Sandpoint, Idaho. And, and uh, every time, hey, coach, it's, you know, I know this is about Priest Lake time. Can we get together for lunch or something? Those are the neat things. Or Quentin Hall calling you from the Bahamas and, coach, man, I need a job. I need, a, I need clothes. I need, you know, everybody knows Quinn. He needs something. But, but just, just the relationships you have, I think that's why you get in the, the job. You know, everybody doesn't really realize that, uh, that that's what I learned from my dad as a coach is, is those, those relationships with your players are another family that you, you can't have if you don't coach. Awesome. Awesome. I love to hear it. Coach Dan Monson, appreciate the time. Uh, you've been a big boost and a help to my career because without you accepting me and wanting me to join Gonzaga, I never would have been able to uh, achieve individual and team success at Gonzaga and be able to, to transition into a pro career as well as the broadcasting stuff that I do now. So always great to reconnect. Thank you for the time today and uh, look forward to catching up again sometime soon. That's awesome. And, and, and by the way, uh, I don't think I, I, I may have made some mistakes along the way, but I think you were a pretty good fit there. And, and, and being out in Q Carey, so he had to transfer. Now he's one of my assistants at Washington. He still doesn't forget that, you know, so you, you've, uh, you've impacted a lot of people on the way too. Awesome. Thanks again, coach. Take care. You got it. Yep. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.